We've been looking through this, this book, Ecclesiastes, and we've been on this search for wisdom, on this big search for wisdom. And what, what we've ended up finding loads of times is just foolishness. Just maybe, maybe go back and read through the book again. It's, it's a tricky read, the book of Ecclesiastes, but we've been on this crazy search, this big, not crazy search, slip of the tongue, just this, this honest search. Solomon, who might have written this book, just been on this honest search for wisdom, and what he's found is foolishness. The gap between something that's wise, just a little aside for a second, just to engage you with this topic of foolishness and wisdom, the gap between something that's wise and something that's foolish, sometimes it looks massive, doesn't it? It can end up looking massive. I, uh, about three or four years ago, I worked in a, an alcoholics sort of drop-in center, it's probably got a, a catchy name, I can't think quite what it was, but they would come along and, and what would happen basically was we'd give them a fry up and a glass of milk, of alcoholics would come in and apparently glass of, milks would, glass of milk would be the thing that they would want. And as, as, as I did this, um, it's, a, it's a tough place to be for an Englishman. It's, it was in Scotland, this dropping centre, and uh, there was a point in the evening, guys, the guys and the girls would come in steaming, that's what they say up there, come in steaming drunk, and uh, there was about a, a point at about nine o'clock in the evening where you realized they were sobering up, and they were just, they'd figured out that it was, it was an English guy that was serving them their fry up, and there was, there was that moment of like recognition that, that they'd been, they'd be jovial chat, they had lots to say, and then there'd be this moment of, I'm going to try a Scottish accent here, I'm so sorry, you're English, eh? And then they would say in, uh, in like broad Glaswegian sort of sentiment, I would like you to leave. That would be kind of what they would say. <laughs> There's another expression for it that they use, but they would say, <laughs> I'd like you to leave. But um, what, what you'd find, uh, what I would find, what I, what I did um, as, I, as I worked in this dropping center before I got to really know these people, about 60 people would come in every Friday, would just, I guess I kind of prejudged them. I kind of made a call on them. Saw them coming in thinking about how, how, how distant the line between what is wise and what is foolish is. And I looked at these people coming in, and I made a judgment call. I was like, these people are, these people are bad people. I did. That's kind of what I thought. These people are bad people. They're on a bad path. They're not good people. A bit nervous about my kids being around them. Spent four or five months, um, and not everybody told me to go away. It happened a, a bit, but there were lots of conversations. And what I found was, as I talk with these people, that actually these, these people that, that, would, that would be steaming drunk, that would, would have to run away to, to throw up in the toilet, these people were not that different from me. It was a couple of life choices. It was a couple of incidents in their life. And it was a couple of decisions. It was a couple of moments when actually drink was better than facing the reality. And that happened a couple of times. And before you knew it, or before they knew it, it was their choice. This this foolishness that we read about, we're going to read about it a bit more, and, and the wise decisions. I, just, I think I wanted to start off by setting this platform of actually, we're all just a heartbeat away from doing something really stupid. The human capacity to be incredibly stupid is really close. Albert Einstein said something like that. He's only sure about, he's certain about two things, the infinite capacity of the universe and man's infinite capacity to be stupid. It's true, isn't it? That 
opportunity for us to do something really stupid is right there. Sometimes it feels to me like, like God is he's almost looking in on, on the human race as we go through our lives, knowing this, knowing that he's created these, these beings. And I guess I'm accepting that there's a Christian perspective here that you might go with me on this journey that we think that God has created these human beings. And he's looking in and he is willing us to do wise things. And he is aware of our great capacity to do wise things. And yet he sees the pitfalls and the potential for us to do stupid things. And I was trying to think, I thought, I want a Bible story just to harness this. And I got first Bible story in the book. So I'm not going to bore you with loads of Bible stories. You could, you could flick through it a thousand feet in the Bible. You could stop at really any story. And there's this capacity. You see, almost get this sense of God looking in on the universe and man's capacity to do something incredibly brilliant or at the same time do something incredibly stupid. So the first story, Adam and Eve, God creates Adam, this man. And it's like the kind of the last thing he makes, kind of the zenith, the zenith moment. Adam and Eve, man and woman, stood there, this triumphal moment. And there's so much potential in man. And you can see it with what God describes for him to do. He says, I want you to go and occupy the whole world. I want you to name all the animals. I want you to care for everything. It's just this, this massive, big, triumphant moment where, where God sees the total capacity of man. He's like, one thing I don't want you to do. You know this story, don't you? Just like one thing, man. You've got, you've got this fruit dropping off the trees underneath your armpits. You're in paradise. You've just been introduced to a woman. You've never seen a woman before. She's probably gorgeous. You've got nothing else to gauge it against Adam. This is a strong moment. This is a good thing. Just one thing I don't want you to do, don't eat from that tree. Mankind, just limitless, vast potential to be amazing and yet has the opportunity to do something stupid. And I don't think anyone needs me to tell, to tell you what happens in this story. The capacity for man to do stupid things or great things is there with us the whole time. Human beings that were all conceived in the same way, we could spend, there's human beings that would spend a lifetime bringing peace. And there's human beings that think it makes a lot of sense to go to war. There's human beings that spend a lifetime finding cures for stuff. And there's human beings that set their whole heart to committing acts of terror. There's human beings that would go out of their way to, spe- to help an old lady across the road. And there's human beings that would go out of their way to mug an old lady as they cross the road. And do you know what's incredible about all this? Sometimes these qualities can be attributed to the same person. The same person that could mug somebody has the capacity to help them cross the road. We have this constant capacity as human beings to do something amazing or to do something terrible. And sometimes I get this sense as I, as I read the Bible and as I see stories like the story of Adam and Eve and the chapter that we're going to look at just now, that God is is looking down on humanity. I want you to try and envisage this. I think the book of Ecclesiastes lends itself to this. It's always telling us that we exist under the sun, this idea that God is looking down on humanity. So it certainly fits with me and is willing us to do well. It's a bit like, I think, just to give you an illustration, it's a bit like, and it's only a bit like, it's just to keep you all engaged, keep you on the, on the money. It's a bit like when parents of teenagers leave them alone for the first time. Have you, is this a familiar thing? Has this happened in your life? Have you been the teenager? Can you remember being the teenager that was left alone for the first time? Have you had the experience of leaving your teenagers on their own for the first time? Maybe you're you're driving off in the car 
And your conversation will go something like this. Well, we, we've raised them really well. They've got our DNA. We've, we've told them all the basics. You know, we've, the potential for something great. Maybe we'll come back and our teenagers will have, will have done a piece of art and put it on the wall. Or maybe they will have that DIY project that was waiting. They will have done that. Or maybe they'll have done the garden. There's the potential for something amazing to happen. And yet, the conversation could equally go as bluntly as, do you think they'll remember to turn the cooker off? Do you think they'll have an all-nighter and smash the whole house up and burn the house down? There's just this ridiculous capacity uh, for things to go wrong. And that's, that's, a, that's a, almost a reflection of the way that it can be for mankind. We have got this incredible capacity to do good things, knowing that we've got this equally, this real certainty, not certainty, this real chance that we might do something incredibly stupid as well. Question I want us to think about today in these verses, and maybe we could pop the text up, that'd be really good. Is given, and I think the writer of Ecclesiastes helps sort of paint this picture, given that, the, that mankind has chosen folly, that's the word he uses, has, has chosen to do stupid things so often, given that this is the world that we live in, that it is that there is stupidity abounding in it. That's the terminology I'm going to use. How do we live in a wise way? in these times? How do we live wise knowing that stupidity exists out there? So we're going we're gonna to fire through a few texts and verse 5 and 6, if you can uh, cast your eyes on that. And I want, I'm going to draw attention to three verses and what I want you to do every time is take a little screenshot of it in your head. I think um, the, it's, it's really painting pictures here, little pictures, and that they can be really helpful just to hang all your thoughts and memories on them. So as I describe this to you, I want you to try and, you don't have to, but you can only engage with it with the talk. Really try and visualize this verse. Verse 5 and 6. There is an evil I have seen under the sun. The sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions. Excuse me, dry mouth. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback when princes go on foot. Like slaves. This um, picture that comes out of the fact that as, as, as the writer's going around observing the world, he sees the reality. And it's incredible. Sometimes you feel like the Bible could have been written five minutes ago. The reality that fools, stupid people, not only exist, but, but often end up in charge. Now, I feel like I'm guilty of overusing Mr. Trump in terms of illustrative um, usage when, from the platform, but he's, he's, he just keeps on giving, doesn't he? He's so good. He's just got, he's so helpful when you want, when you want to talk about something like this. And I, I really feel like this passage could almost be written about him. I don't know how closely you followed the American election, but as, as, as the American election kind of culminated, as it came to a head, if you were to say to anybody, watching, you know, from Europe, looking in, who, who are the two stupidest people? Who are the two worst people in America? Who does the press say are the worst two in the whole of the country? You would say, yeah, it's Clinton and Trump. These are the worst two people. And yet that is, that is how the world panned out. And, and part of the wisdom of, of this little proverb is saying, look, look at the world, guys. You think that you're clever? Look at who you put in charge. And we kind of want to argue and say, well, it's not my country. But as you look around the world, this Humanity does this time and time again. Humanity makes these sort of decisions. This 
can happen. And the Bible sort of, and the writer of Ecclesiastes kind of wants us to ponder that. I think he wants us to draw us to that point. He's like, look at, look at what you can do. Look at what you can do when you're left alone, kind of looking down through the clouds almost. And, and in the same token, as, as fools can end up in charge, you've got, you've got really clever people. I think that's where the, where the proverb is heading. Really smart people living in absolute poverty. I don't know if you watched any of, of the Roots program that's been going on. I get into stuff like this. I, 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 I need to work on it because I tend to not watch what everybody else is watching. But it's just a story of uh, plantation owners and a slave fam- family coming over from Africa, making their way in the world. And increasingly, as the story develops, you just see the stupidity often of the plantation owners, lots of them, the people that are in charge, and the wisdom that just falls from the lips of these slaves. And I know it's made, you know, it's not made up, it's based on a true story, but I know there's fabrication and all the rest of it. But it's so true, isn't it? There's geniuses sitting by the side of the road and fools in charge of the world. And sometimes the Bible reminds us of how stupid the world can be. And and before we just start digging around and blaming this foolishness on the people that are in charge of us, it gives us another little proverb to think about. So again, take another screenshot of this one, verse Eight and nine. Whoever digs a pit, these are these are brilliant. This is. I think this. Is, I think we're supposed to laugh at this. This is what I think. I think we're supposed to go. What? I think we're supposed to be arrested. I think it's a bit like watching one of those shows where there's just catastrophe going to happen. One of the. Cam, I can't remember the name of it now. Camcorder shows. It's one of those. One of those ideas where you're just supposed to go. What is happening here? Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall, brilliant, may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones, and can you see all this in your head? Can you see these hapless people with the, just with these disasters happening all around him? He's like saying, this can happen. Whoever splits logs, maybe, you know, maybe injured, what an idiot, maybe injured by the logs splitting. So we're just going to zoom in on one of them. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. You've got a guy who gets up every single day for his job. This is his job. I don't know. What fancy term? We'd, we'd give it a fancy name now, I think we'd call it something. He's a, he would tell you that he's a pit digger. He goes around digging pits. In all likelihood, he's digging a pit to try and catch an animal. That's his job. He's been doing it all his life. He gets up every morning. He has his coffee or whatever drink he's drinking. He goes out. He digs the hole. And he is stupid enough. One day, this, this, this thing that is his whole life, his whole project, his whole every minute of every day he spends digging this hole, he ends up falling into it. And he's got this picture of this guy down in this pit. And it's almost that sometimes that the Bible puts a mirror on us and says, look, humanity, this can happen. You can be this stupid. When we read um, human history, when we read about ourselves, um, this, this era that we're living in now is called postmodern. We're in the postmodern time, aren't we? We live post-enlightenment. I always, always makes me smile what, what, what God might make of a phrase like that. We live post-enlightenment. We have been enlightened. We live in times when we would record of ourselves that we have grasped it. We have understood it. Thank you, God. We've really thought about this hard. We've philosophized. We've read loads of books. We've searched the stars. We've done everything, and we have come to a point now, thank you, as a human race, where we are enlightened. We know it. 
that's, what, that's, how, that's how we record ourselves. The Bible doesn't look at us so glowingly. It's like tough language. It's quite harsh. But the Bible repeatedly says human beings got this capacity for incredible things. Yes. But you're never more than two minutes away from doing something incredibly stupid. In fact, you know what the terminology that the Bible uses really often when it, when it talks about people, when it talks about us? It calls us sheep. And the perspective is not your sheep, you'll, you'll do really well in the outdoors. Or your sheep, you'll look nice on a postcard. Or your sheep, you'll know how to survive on the hillside. Or your sheep, you're cuddly. It's your sheep, you're stupid, idiotic, and you'll want, you've got the capacity to wander off. This is what the Bible reminds us of, and it keeps this picture in our head. I'm just wondering, how should we live in a wise way? Do you live like you can fix everything yourself? And you say to me, because you're at church, no, I don't do that. That's not what I do. I don't, I don't do that. Do you live like you can fix everything yourself? Or do you rely on God? I think so often in our lives we go through life not with this picture that we can make mistakes, not with this picture that we are like sheep. We go through our lives thinking, I've, I've, I've got this. Thank you, God. Even the best Christians in the room right now, if that's, that's probably not a really good expression, but you know what I'm getting at. Even the best of us would say, I've, I've got this, God. How long does it take us sometimes to, to pray about anything? How long does something have to be going wrong in our lives before we say, do you know what, I really need to pray about this. How, how often do we come to God's word and read it and it's the direction of our lives on the back of it? How, of, how often does that happen? There's this challenge for us, I think. There's this picture for us in the Bible that just, it keeps in view, it keeps in focus our capacity to do silly things and it reminds us through this picture of the sheep. Why does the, why does the, why does the Bible bring us to this, this picture of sheep? It's because these creatures need somebody to follow. They need a pastor. They need a shepherd. This is the picture. This is the thing that we need to have in our heads as we go through. Skip down to verse, to verse 10. In the middle of the stupidity, what ways can we live wise? If the axe, and again, screenshot. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength will be needed. But skill will bring success. Have you got the, have you got, taken the screenshot? Have you, have you thought about the story? If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength will be needed. But skill will bring success. There's a picture of this, of this guy. I don't, have, you, have, you ever, have you ever used an axe? Have you ever chopped? I don't want to do hands up, but I'm tempted because I'm just curious. Have you ever, you don't even have to nod, just think it through in your head. Have you ever, have you chopped a tree down? I've, I've done this. I think my dad, when I used to work at the mill for my dad, I, th I think, I don't know, I'm, every now and again I think he was a bit sadistic and he was like, I'm just going to send Ash out to chop a tree down just to see if, just to see if he's in, his heart's in the business. And I'd be outside chopping a tree down and our axes were rubbish. They were just really blunt. And you cannot, that doesn't work when you're chopping, a, you've, you have got to, if you're going to chop a tree down, it is a, and I'm not going to do it because I think I'm sweating. You've got, you've, got to really, you've got to really commit to the action. You've got to throw the axe, imagine me, over your head and chop into the tree. You've got to really commit to this. And there's this picture in this proverb of a guy who is just 
into the task, into the task, into the task, into the task. And in the back of his mind, you can almost see, he's, he's like, I'm not getting anywhere with this, this tree. I think that my axe is blunt, but my plan in my wisdom is just to keep chopping away. I'm just going to graft through it. I'm just going to grind it out. And there's this picture of this guy dripping with sweat, just keeping on with the axe, just keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. And sometimes what the Bible does, and it's come up over and over again in Ecclesiastes, is that it shows us a mirror of ourselves. It says, look at what you do. Where's the wisdom in the picture? What does the woodcutter need to do? He needs to take a step back. He needs to realize that he's not here just for a workout. He's not here to get away from the kids to spend time in the woods. He's here to chop the tree. He needs to recognize what his purpose is. And he needs to have a plan. And it's a great picture for us in our lives. How often do we... How easy is it? You know, how, how much do we live inside the bubble of every day? Just getting by every day. We go to work, we clean the house, we do this, we do that. The week goes by, the next week goes by. You look back, where did that last 10 years go? Here's the wisdom in the picture. The Bible says in this little text is sometimes you need to take a step back. You need to think about what your purposes in life really are. And then you need to have a plan. We don't do it. I definitely don't do it, but I'm, I'm going to be willing to say that we don't do it. And I want you to think about it just for a second. When you, when you go on, when you actually end up getting on holiday, how different does the world look? Not straight away, two or three days into your holiday. Let's, and you need to try and imagine you're going somewhere nice. You're by the beach. You see the, you see the ocean again. You remember how beautiful the world is. Do you know? And you can almost sense the day-to-day drifting into the background. You can almost see it evaporating. And all of a sudden, your, your partner or your wife or your kids, they all look more beautiful. And you don't just want to tell them off all the time. And you don't just want to think about them getting through school. You want to enjoy them as human beings. And you step back and you step back and you get a slightly different perspective. And here's the wisdom in this proverb. It's saying you need to take a step back and think exactly about what your purpose in life is. And the Bible will give us some answers on this issue. It says that we are created. We forget that, don't we? We kind of abuse our bodies, just go through life. We are created beings. We are not a cosmic coincidence. We are designed and planned. We were in God's mind in eternity past. There was stuff marked out for us to do in eternity past. God had a plan and a purpose. Not just, you know groupingly for the whole of the human race, but for you individually. We are forgiven. We are forgiven people. Don't we, as Christians, forget that? Don't we carry stuff around with us all the time? It's this reminder of our purpose and our function in Christ that we are forgiven people. We can stand before God in his perfect holiness, if we've accepted him as our savior, and we can, we can look him in the eye. We don't have to hang on to that stuff anymore. We are being made holy. Keep the picture of the woodcutter in your mind trying to slogging away. We forget this, don't we? Sanctified is the word that the Bible uses, but we are being made holy. We are on a journey. Here's the thing. We are on a journey to being 
perfect. That's where you're headed if you're facing God. Don't we, for, don't we forget that? Don't we put that at the back of our minds? We are, and this we've been reminded of this in Ecclesiastes, haven't we? We are eternal beings. We've got a sense of that. That's what it says in chapter 3. We've got a sense of eternity in our hearts. We've, we can sense that. Don't we forget that? Don't we, just, don't we even forget that we're going to live for 80 or 90 years? We, just, we think that we're going to be only here for two minutes living in this week and in this moment. There's wisdom in breaking out of this bubble, not just for a trip to Hawaii, not just to put your feet up, but to reassess your place in the universe, to reassess your, to reassess your place in God's plans, and remember that you're a child of God. Start your day off with that. What are you here for? It's the question I'm happy to leave an awkward silence over. One for you to ponder. What are you here for? What's your plan? What's your purpose? Maybe this next problem in your life is not going to be fixed if you just keep plowing away at it. Maybe the next problem in your life requires you to take a step back and remember who you are in God. Final bit of advice. Last little, last little screenshot we're going to take is uh, verse 16 and 17. So we've, we've skipped in and out. We've not dealt with all the, all the verses, but there really isn't time to do that. Final, final way to think about how we can live wise in a world where stupidity abounds. We'll take the screenshot of this again. War to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Can you see the, the picture? You've got, to, you've got to dwell on it for a second. The, the picture is of, a, of a, a royal family that get up out of bed. First thing they do, first thing they do is they're down to the, the dining room. It's a knees up. It's a, it's a social, it's as much food as you can eat, and they're forgetting about the people. Citizens can do what they want. They're filling their bellies, and then probably in the afternoon they lie down and have a kip. That's the first royal family when you've got a contrast. The second royal family is a different picture. The king in this picture, he gets up, but he's not straight down to the dining table. We read about him eating. He's eating at night. What is that saying? What does that get us to think about? That's getting us to think about the fact that he spends all his day looking after the people. This is a noble king. This is a wise king. This is a good king. Why is he a good king? Because he's spending his time on the people first before he feasts. And it's difficult sometimes, isn't it, to get inside these verses, but we can, we can get a sense of this, I think. When we see, when we see nations on the news, Syria and uh, Iraq and other countries like this, and we, and we see that you get the stills of the kids caught in the middle of the wars, and you see, you see the kids, and not two minutes later, you see a picture of the leader of the country in some palace or something like that, and you say, yeah, this is, this is true. And part of your heart just sort of yearns. You just sort of think, you, this is not fair on you. You need, you need a good leader. And at the same time that we look abroad, we look at our own brilliant leaders and even in the, the mother of parliament even in our seat of democracy we still pass laws where the guy down the street will say this doesn't help me this doesn't do me any favours 
we still have politicians, even though we've had this, we've evolved to this state where we've got, you know, this good democracy, we still have politicians that come to the front and they can only last so long in the job because there are skeletons in the, in the cupboard. None of these leaders are perfect. And we yearn for a leader that is perfect. This is, this is kind of what this proverb gets us to think about. It says, war to you, land that your leaders are corrupt and getting up early in the morning. And, 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 it, and then it points towards the fact that there is a country somewhere, that's what it gets you to think about, there is a country somewhere where the king's good and the citizens are blessed. I oh, just want to read a few verses. Um, time's kind of gone. Just for us to think about, kind of draw some thoughts together about the fact that we have, in Christ we have a great king. There's a, there's a few verses that would, that would give us encouragement as to why we should follow him. You find them in Philippians 2, 6 to 11. You might know these verses. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is, this is really um, reflective of why Christ is a good candidate for, for king. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, and that often therefore is the crucial word in these texts. Therefore, because he did this, because he abandoned all the glory and all the perfectness that he came from, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the good king. Not, Not because he was a great rabbi and he could argue his way through it. Not because he had an eye on the top and a plan to get to the top. Jesus is the king that we can trust, the king that we can follow, because he had all of that. And he saw us, and he was willing to let it go. He didn't dwell in palaces. He didn't have a, even have a house. The Bible says he had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't fill himself with food. He poured himself out. He didn't put up any walls to exalt himself or protect himself, but he tore walls down so that people might see God. He didn't preserve his own life. He gave it away. He didn't feather his own nest, but he left the legacy that everybody can benefit from. He didn't feast in the morning while his people suffered, but he lived his whole life as a sacrifice all the way to the cross. And with arms outstretched on the cross, he was able to say, it's finished. Jesus lived a life that put the people first completely. And only, only when that was done, did he take his seat next to his father in heaven? What does it mean to live wise today? It's to see somebody with those characteristics and follow them.